0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Almighty God, we pray that you would humble sinners and exalt the Savior by the power and grace of your Holy Spirit, for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Uh, Today's uh, sermon text, which can be found on page 3 of your bulletin, Uh, comes from an obscure story in 2 Kings chapter 5 that I bet most of you do not know unless you have small children. Why is that? The Jesus Storybook Bible. The story of Naaman, the Syrian general, and the prophet Elisha is included in the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a staple among Christian families today. We give a Jesus Storybook Bible to every baby that is baptized in our church. So there's one phrase in 2 Kings 5 that I want to focus on, and that is from verse 1. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Naaman had life going on. He was successful, he was powerful, he was strong, he was popular and famous. But, but, that key word, he was a leper. As successful and powerful and influential as Naaman was, he had something in his life that needed to be healed. And it was something that he could not fix. And I think that we all probably have multiple buts in our life. Things are good, work's going great, the kids are good, but there is that affliction or wound or addiction or sin that needs to be healed, that we need God to redeem and that we simply cannot fix. It may be a broken relationship, a strange child who has moved out to Seattle or that ex-husband or ex-wife that you pray every day that you will not see around town. Maybe a sin. You just cannot stop losing your temper, or criticizing, or trying to control the people in your life, or looking at pornography. Maybe a loss, a parent, or a spouse, or a miscarried baby that you continue to lament over, and you need healing. Today, I want to focus on God's healing, and the twists and turns, and the ups and downs of life. I want to examine this encouraging aspect of the Lord's salvation in two parts. First, Naaman's healing, and second, our healing. And the work of God in our lives involves healing through his sovereign word and determination. So first, Naaman's healing. I invite you to walk through this story with me on page three. So Naaman was the commander of the Syrian army, and he clearly was esteemed in his native land. But he had leprosy, which at best was very irritating, and at worst was debilitating. And so word of the healing of God comes to Naaman in a peculiar way. A servant girl who had been captured in war and brought to Israel uh, was now the servant of Naaman's wife. And she tells Naaman's wife, about Elisha, a prophet who could perform healings through the power of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So now this child's capture is almost definitely an example of human trafficking. This child is taken against her will, she is transported to another land, and she is in forced servitude. And in spite of this injustice and oppression, God uses this girl to convey the word of healing. And so a theme to note, is the spreading and the activity of God's word in this passage. Secondly, the king of Syria sends Naaman to Israel with a massive suitcase of cash, 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold. Israel, in another context, had bought a not insignificant parcel of land with one-fifth this amount of gold and silver. And so when Naaman arrives in Israel, the narcissism and the paranoia of the king of Israel stands in the way. It nearly derails his endeavor to seek healing. The king presumes that the Syrians are expecting him to personally cure Naaman. And he is convinced that there is some kind of conspiracy involved. However, uh, even though there is a truce at this time between Syria and Israel, so he becomes a roadblock until the word, here's the word again, makes its way to Elisha, that Naaman has come to seek healing. So the author notes that when Naaman comes to Elisha, he comes with horses and chariots. Now these are both symbols of power. Naaman is approaching this on the terms that he knows. He's a general. Force and determination are how he navigates life. But Elijah is not impressed. He does not even come out to meet the esteemed general. He sends a servant and tells the servant, just tell him to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. The Jordan was an ugly, muddy, shallow, unimpressive river. Nothing compared to the pristine waters of Naaman's homeland the Abana and the Farpar rivers with their clear waters from melted mountain snow. And so a new obstacle arises in Naaman's healing, and that is his own sinful pride. He is infuriated by Elisha's lack of manners, and his nationalistic sense of pride is offended as the prophet tells him to go to the Jordan, not the majestic waters of his homeland. However, God's sovereign determination to heal Naaman prevails. His servants convince him Naaman, the Jordan is just down the road. Just the guy is giving you a chance, to just do what he says. And so Naaman dips in the water seven times, and his flesh is healed like the skin of a new baby. And no sin, no injustice, no pride, no narcissism can stand in the way of God's sovereign determination to heal Naaman. But this is not the crescendo of the story. The crescendo of the story comes in verse 15. When Naaman comes to Elisha and he declares, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman has come to saving faith in the true God. He now knows and trusts Yahweh, the God of Israel, and his soul is secured for eternity because of this faith. So all healing comes from God. But the ultimate manifestation of the healing of God is through the work of Jesus Christ, to heal the broken relationship that we have with God the Father as a result of our sin. Anytime you are cured of anything, whether that is a cold or a cut or cancer, that is the healing activity of the Lord God in your life and understand that the ultimate healing that a person can experience is healing in their relationship with God the Father through the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is what we see in the life of Naaman. His physical healing leads to his spiritual healing before the Lord. So what can we learn uh, through the healing of Naaman? That takes us to our second point, our healing. So there are three themes that we can identify here as it pertains to healing in this passage. They are God's word, God's terms, and God's sovereignty. So first, God's word. Notice how a message, a word circulates in this story. Word of the prophet Elisha and of Yahweh's healing travels from the servant girl to the wife to Naaman. Word of Naaman's arrival in the kingdom somehow makes it to Elisha. And word of healing in the Jordan makes it from Elisha to the servant to Naaman. The word leads to healing. And so the first medicine that leads us to healing in Christ is the word of the gospel. The gospel message that because of the death of Jesus, no matter how bad we may be, God loves us unconditionally. This message brings us to Jesus. The part of the gospel about our sin, it reminds us of our weakness and our need for the Lord. And the part about God's grace, it reminds us of the love of God and reminds us that the Lord God can touch us in the most painful and tender places and bring about healing. The gospel draws us into the healing arms of Christ. And so this is why we need to hear about God's grace through Jesus Christ every day. We need to hear it preached from the outside, and we need to preach it to ourselves. Some of us, like myself, have to take medicine every single day. Well, it is, the gospel is the daily medicine for our many wounds. The gospel is the ointment that anneals the cuts and the scrapes of our heart. Secondly, God's terms. Note the way that Naaman pursues healing through the tools that he's already always known. He's calling the plays that have always worked with his horses and his chariots. Control, power, and self-determination. That's what he knows. I'm going to go to Israel. I'm going to come with a fistful of dollars, with horses, with chariots, and I'm going to get what I came came for. But when Elisha does not meet him face to face, he disrupts. Naaman's expectations. And he pushes Naaman off of his terms and Naaman explodes. He is infuriated and he short circuits. Naaman wants to storm off in a manner that leaves him unhealed. God's terms almost always involve simple humility and weakness and some pain. Think about how easy this is. Naaman, Just go dip in the water. It's right down the street and you'll be healed. But no, 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 no. Naaman wants to make things hard, he wants to make it difficult. He wants to travel a long distance and he wants things to be done his way. And this is 100% how I am. And you may be able to identify with it too. We want to find healing and freedom our way, we want to heal ourselves through control and self-determination. I just want you to think about how easy salvation is. The path to salvation is, Jesus, please forgive my sins and be my savior and Lord. It is easier than renewing your license at the DMV. But as sinners, we want to drive through Los Angeles in order to get to Nashville. Now I've known plenty of people who have tried to cope with the deep pain of a divorce by numbing themselves through bitterness and resentment? It doesn't work. It actually makes your wounds worse. Many a person has tried to tackle healing from addiction by just doubling down on effort. Absolutely never works. I had a person advise me in a season of grief, you you just need to stay real, real busy. That's a bad idea. That does not result in a mended heart. Now, all of these approaches that I just listed involve natural human terms. Control and self help and avoidance of pain. God's terms involve humility and weakness, and they also involve some pain and suffering on the front end. But through God's terms, by feeling the pain and by depending on Jesus to heal your heart, authentic healing genuinely can occur in your heart. So we've talked about God's word and God's terms. Finally, God's sovereignty. Think about the twists and the turns of this story. You have a word from a servant girl, a letter and a sack of cash, an uh, un, unstable king. You have, uh, you have an awkward word of healing. You have a temper tantrum. And then finally, you have a healing and a conversion. I think this is how life goes. We all have afflictions. Things happen that totally take us off of our expectations, off of the expected path. There are wins, there are losses, there are ups, there are downs, and there are lots of disappointments. And life in general can feel like you live in a washing machine or in a dryer. It's very disorienting. And so in it, though, I do believe that the current of God's river is always moving us in the direction of healing. Not necessarily physical healing, but healing in, in our heart and in our soul. Isaiah 53, 5, by his wounds we are healed. Through Christ, we are healed once and for all by his grace and through faith. But God also in the Christian life continues to heal our wounds and our sins and our idols. And in those moments of confusion where you are just asking the question, God What are you doing? What is going on? I think that you can biblically and faithfully say that something that God is always doing is he is moving you towards healing of your heart. Now, when I was a 20-something, before I met my sensational wife, (laughs) and she is sensational, um, I had a really unsteady up and down dating relationship with a prior girlfriend. And it ended with me, shockingly, getting dumped and being brokenhearted. And uh, here's what I found in the disappointment, is that the reason the relationship was so volatile is because I was actually a very lonely and disconnected person, and I was trying to fix that by trying to find a wife. Now, I was in church and I was in Bible study a lot, but I didn't have a very intimate relationship with Jesus. And I was around people a lot, but most of my relationships were pretty shallow. And so during that season of singleness afterwards, I started to experience the companionship of Jesus in a way that I never had. Uh, And it started to heal me. And without the twists and turns of that relationship, I never would have realized that I was actually a really disconnected and lonely person. I never would have had the chance to let God heal that isolation in my life. And so God needed to break my heart in order to heal my heart. So I believe that in all times and in all circumstances that God is moving you and me in the direction of healing. We just need to trust him, and we just need to let Jesus be the one who heals our heart. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would glorify yourself in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.